Friends, as you take your Bible this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. After a number of weeks away to visit family in Texas and then the Easter season, we're returning to a series of messages that encourage us as our lives of believers following Jesus in an awful, often confusing and troubled world. The letters of Peter are written to Christians scattered abroad in a world that's not their home, that they are sojourners, they are just passing through. That's what the phrase means, sojourner. You're not at home yet, you're on a journey, you're passing through this life. One day, God's children will all be home with him in heaven. But till then, Peter is encouraging us uh, what to expect in this world and how to react to the things that come across our paths as disciples and followers of Jesus. One of those things, as we uh, finished recently the major passages on uh, living our life in relationship to authorities and others around us, and how a hallmark of the Christian life is submission, that is putting others and their welfare before ourselves. Well, this naturally leads into the next major section in First Peter, and that's focus on suffering. The one of the things that God's children should expect in this world is to encounter trials, tribulations, and hardships. And any of us who have lived any length of time in this world, we realize that that's a reality. And how to have God's grace in the midst of suffering. And uh, we're going to begin with that, and Peter revisits it in chapter 4, but it's uh, wonderful and encouraging for something that would seem to be uh, discouraging, the topic of suffering. Well, Peter tells us that by the grace of Jesus, we can be encouraged even in the midst of that. Speaking of that, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, Paul, who was well acquainted with grief and suffering, in fact, wrote to a church in Rome while imprisoned in chains, hoping to get out of prison and visit them someday. He wrote them this letter. He said, I consider that our present suffering, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, there's a lot in that passage. There's a lot of encouragement that this present suffering is just that. It's for the present. It's temporary. It will pass. And God always has something better in store for his children. Oh, wasn't that video from Elsie so well done and so encouraging? The hope she has, even through health challenges and suffering, she puts her faith in the Lord. And she knows he has her best purpose in mind. He has something for her. Well, friends, that's the reality of each and every one of us. And as we come out of pandemic years into whatever shape the world holds before us, and I know talking to individuals in the congregation and the community, there is a level of uneasiness and anxiety about the future. We've seen how easily our little house of cards, whether it be our family, our job, even our nation, can be shaken and collapse so quickly. It can change overnight and people begin to wonder what the future holds in store for us. Well, these passages in Peter speak to people in times like that and they will give us courage and they give us hope. And friends, hope is a Christian virtue. It is an amazing thing that God gives you not only to see you through hard times, to allow you to persevere, but he gives you hope 
to share. I've called this morning's message sharing hope because it speaks of a pass. The passage speaks of being ready to share your hope with those around you. This implies that they're going to see your hope, that they're going to see a difference in your life. Everybody else is running scared, but you're calm. Everybody else is fearful or grieving and you have peace. Why? What are you going to tell them? How are you going to share the hope you have with them? Well, the first point I want to make, we want to look at three things Jesus does for us in this brief passage, just a few verses we're going to look at this morning. And the first, it tells us that Jesus, he is our Lord. He is the master of your heart. Now that's important. As we saw there, Elsie talked about being 14 years old at camp. Camp was at Sylvan Lake in those days. They sold that property and bought Camp Caroline. The camp moved. Some of you old timers remember the Sylvan Lake camp. Elsie said at 14 years old, she was willing to let Jesus be her savior, but she wasn't sure if she wanted him to be her Lord, that she could trust him with the rest of her life. Well, this is a necessity. This is what God's children need to do. And the Lordship of Jesus, friends, needs to start at your heart. That He's your master. That your heart is not mastered by something else. Oh, I see this hurting world and I see people's hearts are slaves to sin. They're mastered by addictions. They're mastered by appetites. They're mastered by self and selfishness. Our heart should have a Lord, a master, who loves us and loves this hurting world. Jesus needs to be the master of our hearts. Let's begin our reading this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now you're going to see on the screen, look at the, the, the way it's at the next screen rather, 13 to 15a. Today you're going to see 15a, 15b, 15c. Well, we know those the, the verse numbers were added much, much later, just a few hundred years ago, to help us find passages in the Bible. And sometimes the division of the verses lands in odd or inappropriate places. And so I will sometimes end a reading in the middle of a verse. The first part of the verse I call a, and this, in fact, verse 15 has many important thoughts in it. So you're going to see 15A, 15B, 15C. Just a little bit of explanation ahead of time. So we'll begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Peter asks this question. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's what Lord means. The Greek word kurios means master. But in your heart, have one master, Jesus. And Peter implies that if Jesus is the master of your heart, you won't fear what the rest of the world fears. In fact, he begins by saying that even doing the right thing will sometimes give you opposition. In fact, if you try to live a life following Jesus, that, hear me, that guarantees opposition. People won't like it. Think about the most godly people in Scripture and the lives that they lived. 
I think in the Old Testament, there's nobody compares to Joseph. He didn't have some of the stumbles that the father of faith Abraham had. He didn't have a lot of the other challenges like King David going astray, killing a man, stealing his wife. Joseph was a godly man, start to finish. He is a Christ-like figure in the Old Testament. A lot of Joseph's life prefigured the life of Jesus. It's like God was giving us just a, a preview of the type of man that the Son of God is. And a follower of God becomes like that. Well, Joseph was a godly man. And he was like a mirror. His goodness revealed the sin and brokenness in those around him. The hatred of his brothers, trying to murder and then selling him as a slave. The lust in the heart of Potiphar's wife. They may have thought they had a great marriage till Joseph comes along and, and lives a godly and upright life and it reveals the fault lines of sin in their hearts. Time and time again, we see people in Scripture seeking to live a godly life and suffering for it. Today's no different. Today's no different. Well, sometimes it's a low-level rejection. They make fun of you. They ostracize you. You don't fit in. They didn't let poor Rudolph join in all the reindeer games. It can be that level in school or the schoolyard. Or you can lose jobs over it. I've had friends actually lose jobs for moral stands they took. Business relationships come undone. A person come to faith and an unbelieving spouse rejects them because they love somebody now more in their heart than they love them. There's a lot of times where people suffer for doing good. Well, Peter's encouraging us in this that despite all of this, we don't fear the things the world once feared. In fact, Jesus himself remembered us from times like that in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, the very last one of the Beatitudes, the blesseds that he pronounces, is in verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus saying? You don't belong to the kingdoms of this world. You may be a citizen and carry a passport of Canada, but your home is heaven. Your master is Jesus. Your life is lived in a different direction, sometimes very different from the world around us. You are blessed. Happy are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, the old translation says. You know, in this passage, when Peter quotes, he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah when he says, we don't fear what the rest of the world fears. That comes from Isaiah chapter 8, which of course follows Isaiah chapter 7. Chapter 7 and 8 are set in a particular, particularly fearful time for the people of Judah. They're major competitors on the national scene. The northern kingdom, which was often a very sinful kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Israel or Ephraim, had joined with their other great enemy, Syria, and they wanted to rebel against the Assyrians, the big boys up north who had an empire over everyone. And they told Judah, join us or you're our enemy. What was Ahaz going to do? He was between a rock and a hard place. And so Isaiah comes to the king. He says, don't trust Syria and Israel. Don't trust Assyria. Trust God alone. And that's where he gives him the Emmanuel prophecy. God will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. That's the setting of this. In that same passage, following that, God speaks to Isaiah himself, the prophet, 
because it's a fearful time. The land is being shaken with fear. I'll begin a verse earlier, Isaiah chapter 8. I'll begin in verse 11 and then we'll catch up with verse 12. Isaiah writes, The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. And their way is one of fear, anxiety, conspiracy, upheaval. He said, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He's the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a sanctuary. Do you get what he's saying there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear, that holy reverence of all-powerful God, holy God, and we're sinners. We come to Him first in fear and then we find out the graciousness of this powerful God. And so our reverence for Him, our holy fear, there's no room for any smaller fears in our lives. (laughs) They don't compare to God. To fear something before God that would have to be greater than God. A need or a problem bigger than God. Do you have one of those? You may think you do, but you don't. Fear God. Do not fear what they fear. And what do they fear? COVID. Oh, the COVID craziness. Fear of conspiracy. Fear of the virus. Fear of the vaccine. Oh man, we just split into warring, crazy, fearful bunches. Did we display hope? This pandemic has not been the church of Jesus Christ's most proud moment. There are many people living lives of faith and graciousness to those around them. But there's others who gave way to fear. They feared what the world feared. How many times does somebody come up to you and you say, I see a level of hope in you. Tell me about that. You don't take sides. You don't condemn people. You're not fighting online all the time. Where do you get your peace from? Lord willing, that happened. But across North America and the world, all bets were off. It was nuts. What do we fear today? Well, there's war in the Ukraine. There's war in Cameroon. And people are acting as if this is something strange. Friends, this is a sinful world. War, hatred, it's part of this world. Don't be afraid of what the world fears. COVID, war, death, hunger, deprivation, job loss, broken relationships, all the things that the world fears. In Jesus, with Christ as Master and Lord of our hearts, we don't fear those anymore. We just don't. As the psalmist says in Psalm 27, he asks a rhetorical question. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. If God is your light and salvation, you have nothing to fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What encouraging passages. Our brothers and sisters in the five Roman provinces that Peter wrote to, they were suffering, but they had nothing to fear. They were hurt, but they couldn't be permanently harmed. And the same goes for you and I today. Jesus as the master of your heart. But the passage continues passage continues to say people will see that level of hope and they will have questions about it and we have to be willing to share them the reason we have hope is christ that jesus is the reason 
for our hope. Christ, the reason for our hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15b now, we continue in verse 15, partway into the verse. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hope is one of the most wonderful things in human life. Even non-Christian philosophers and poets, they sing the praises of hope. Where there is life, there is hope. Don't give up. Hope allows you to get through and persevere no matter what you face, no matter the odds. Can you have hope? Well, Christian hope is different than the world's hope. Hope can even be pessimistic. You say, oh man, our team is down. We'll take a random team, Calgary Stampeders. They're down 42 to nothing, halftime against the Eskimos. One your friend says, I, I'm sure they'll come back. And you say, oh, I hope so. <laughs> Are you really hopeful? <laughs> that's, that's certainly not a, a true example. I chose something crazy there. But you say, I hope so. You don't really hope so. You don't expect them to come back. It's thinly veiled pessimism. In fact, hope is more wishful thinking. But friends, when Christians talk about hope and it's based in Jesus, it's not just I hope so, it's I know so. We have joyful expectation founded on knowledge. It's not wishful thinking. Our hope is based in Jesus. Jesus is our hope. And people will see this and Peter says, be prepared for them to notice a difference in your life. And when they ask you about this hope you're showing instead of fear and anxiety that you're living a hopeful life, no matter what you face. I've seen staff and nurses in hospitals ask Christians about the peace and the hope they have in the face of their own imminent death. And they're able to share the reason for their hope. The reason for our hope, we need to be really to give them the answer. The answer in this is fascinating. The word, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer. The Greek word is apology. Be prepared to give apologia. Apology doesn't mean be prepared to admit guilt and express sorrow and then say you're sorry. That's not what apology means in Greek. Apology is a legal term. You're called to court and they call you to give testimony, give your answer to the court's questions. That is, that defense is apologia. Be prepared to give an answer based on your experience and firsthand knowledge about the hope you have. Apologetics, that part of Christian theology which logically defends the faith, it comes from that same word. Be prepared to give an answer. Well, this is where it gets a little nerve-wracking for us. We say, oh no, this is that W word, that witnessing word, and I'm not, a, I'm not an evangelist. I don't want to witness. But friends, Peter's not telling you to be an evangelist and, and to, to have to go to seminary to do this. He says, be prepared to testify to what God has done in your life, why your life is different. And if you haven't thought that out, you need to do some thinking and praying and studying just to have it settled in your own heart because those around you need to hear from you. It's as easy as this. Let's look really quickly at what we 
want to tell people. The first thing we want to tell them is that our hope is not in something. The latest miracle drug. Our hope is in someone. That our hope is Jesus. Jesus is our hope. First Timothy, the Apostle Paul begins his book with this wonderful passage. He writes, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Do you see that? Paul's hope isn't in something. It's in someone. Have you put your hope in Jesus? Have you trusted Him, entrusted into Jesus your eternity? Have you given Him your sin? Have you repented from it, turned away from it, and given your heart to Christ through faith? This is our hope. This is the only hope. This is the hope of a hopeless world, what God has done for us in Christ, His Son. He is Christ Jesus, our hope. Now that's blessed assurance. That's amazing. And people hear you say that your hope is in Christ. Why does that make a difference for you? Just a few things. They're easy. You can think of them off the top of your head. You can put them in your own in your own words. The first is, my hope is in Christ because He's God and our God is a loving God. Our God is a loving God. Psalm thirty, Psalm thirty six, or thirty, yeah, thirty six verses five to seven. There's so many passages that speak of the the boundless, deep, wide. Love of God. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Our hope is in Christ because our God is a loving God. Where do you get your hope? Well, I know God loves me. He is a loving God. Many people have the wrong picture of God. They think of Him as as distant, as judgmental, as looking to condemn them and punish them when in fact He loves them and seeks to save them. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost Not those who think they have it together, who think they don't need God. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. We have hope because our God is a loving God. We have hope because our God is a strong God. It's one thing to care for you. It's another to have strength to do something about it. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, a powerful passage, it says of our God, verse 15, He is the image, speaking of Jesus, He is the image, what we can see of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. Jesus holds the universe in the palm of His hands. He is the unifying force that physicists look for and have never found that holds it all together. 
That's our God, our Creator God. He is all-loving and He is strong. God like that, we can trust Him. I have hope because my God keeps His promises. Oh, the numbers, I love Numbers 23. When Balaam went to Balak, who wanted him to curse the Israelites, and he couldn't because God's Spirit spoke through him. He goes back to Balak and he tells him this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Friends, you have God's promises for you. His promises are fresh and new every day. And as the Old Testament says, God keeps every word of all of his good promises for his people. We have hope because God keeps his promises. Connected to that is that God answers prayers. Our God answers prayers. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And to continue on a little further, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Praying in the will, God's good and perfect will. Praying for the will of God is not a cop-out. It's how we see prayers answered. God wants to move in the hearts and lives of His children. Our God answers prayers. This is why we have hope. Why are you different than others? Oh, I trust in Jesus and He's a loving God. And He's a strong God. God is good. God is strong. God is loving. That's all you need to communicate. And He loves you. And He wants to do the same thing in your life. But how do we do it? Do we come across as holier than thou? Sometimes people think Christians are so arrogant and look down their noses at others. Well, we aren't. It's like the old saying, we're like a beggar who has found a crust of bread and we share with the other beggars how how to find that food for their souls. Jesus is our model in treating people with humility and respect. Jesus is the model of our behavior. Just as He is the reason for our hope, following Christ, we keep our eyes on Jesus and how He dealt with the lost and hurting world. That's our model as well. Peter implies this. Peter, who was a first-hand witness of Jesus, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3, our chapter 3, verse 15, C, the last portion of that, Peter continues and says, when you give an answer for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. If we follow Jesus, as I said, as we see in the lives of the men and women of Scripture, people will often push back against that. But may it never be us who are being offensive May it be the offense of the cross. A lot of us don't want to hear that when we're lost, that we are a sinner who needs a Savior. 
We're not willing to cop to any of that. We don't want to think of ourselves as sinners. We'll point to others. There's always somebody worse than us around. And when in doubt, we got Hitler. You know, they're always, they're always using him for something. Comparing somebody to him. People don't want to hear that. That they're broken. That they're lost. That they need a savior. But the good news is, they have one knocking at the door. And when you share that with them, do it lovingly. When you speak of sin and God punishing sin as He has to, do it with tears in your eyes, not gleeful joy of a legalist pronouncing sentence on a hurting person. Do it with respect. Jesus was that type of person. Now we think of Jesus driving out the money changers with a whip in his hand, being zealous for God's house. But when people who recognized their need came to him, he never rejected them. Think of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. Go your way and sin no more. He was gentle when he needed to be gentle. Jesus says in Matthew 11, we often think of that come to me passage. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what people are hungry for. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. Can we be any different? Friends, when you're living a life of hope, you will stand out. You won't fight over the things other people fight on. You won't major in the minors. You'll major in the important things in life. It simplifies life. When we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, our whole goal in life, our mission statement of life, is to do the will of God. To make God happy. Because we love Him. Because of His great love for us. When you do that, you will shine in the dark. That's what Paul says when we finish with that. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. In this crazy, mixed up, perverse, upside down world, and it gets worse every day. We need to hear this verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. You think Paul was writing about us in which you shine like stars in the universe. Isn't that wonderful? As you hold out the word of life, this is what God calls us to do. To shine like stars. You are the light of the world. Don't put your light under a basket. The world needs to see hope today like they never have before. William Bradbury years ago wrote that familiar hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today people put their hope in many things. Lord, they put their hope in miracle cures. They put their hope in charismatic leaders. They put their hope in money, possessions, things that will pass away so soon. Lord, as your children, may we set apart Jesus as Lord and Master in our hearts. For He alone is our hope. Lord, may the world see hope in the lives of your children. And may we be prepared to answer, to give our answer, first-hand witness of all that you have done for us and to share your great love with others. Father, use us. Make us salt and light. Make us missionaries in our little corner of the world where we live. This is our prayer. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.